right, hello everyone. Welcome to this issue of the Freedom Hub Working Group. I'm your host, Jeff Cantor, along with my co-host, Charles Froman. We've got a great guest for today, so you'll find out. Now, we do want you to realize you can register for these and come again in the future, and then also be able to watch all of these in the history of after they've been recorded at the various websites. You've seen they are all case sensitive, but I'll give you a little quick diversion. We'll actually take a quick peek. We're sponsored by your Freedom Hub, so this is the site for you to register for to be on these. This is the site that's sponsoring us. And here's an example where we archive all these videos after they occur, and you'll see there's an awful large quantity of them, and they're all quite good, and today's not going to be no exception, so you're going to want to make sure you take advantage of that. And then, so for today, we have a really great guest, and I want Charles to take a moment here to give us a quick rundown on who is here today, and then we'll let him take the floor. Thanks, Jeff, and welcome, Stefan. In libertarian circles, Stefan is known as the IP skeptic. Skeptic, that is, of intellectual property. Uh, we all knee-jerk love property rights, but what about that weird thing called intellectual property? What is it? There are some of it in the Constitution with patents and trademarks and the original patent trademark office, but a lot of people are wondering if it has really become another source of corporate welfare abuse, and that's why we wanted the expert, Stefan, to come on and uh, tell us about that. He is the founder of the Center for the Study of Innovative Freedom. He has been a professor at law school, and he's the author of a couple, many books and treatises relevant for today um, against intellectual property and a law in a libertarian society. So Jeff, that's our intro. Perfect, and thank you guys both so much. Um, I've done these types of interactions and speeches and uh, events and uh, podcasts and online things in the last 10, 15 years, many times. And uh, uh, I always think we shouldn't stop to appreciate people that have a passion for liberty and they do what they do. You're, you, I don't know you guys that well, but I don't think you're doing it for money. I mean, we all do this for the love of liberty, right? So that's what it's all about. Learning, education, liberty, being humans together. So I appreciate you guys just being interested enough to try to want to do this, right? So, um, and this format is nice, a webinar. Um, so what we've done at Jeff and Charles urging is I've put together some slides and I've, I've, I've presented these types of talks many times. So if you want more information, you can find them on my website, but not everyone's a deep, deep, deep scholar and they don't want to look into 17,000 layers of footnotes. So this is what we have. So I'm going to go from a certain level to a certain level. And if there's any questions near the end, we can deal with it that way. So that's my, my, my approach. Um, I don't like to talk about myself uh, because I'm not trying to <laughs> make money or sell products or even get more clients. I always turn away clients. I turn one away today. Um, but uh, let's go to the next slide, uh, Jeff, if you don't mind. So this is just my brief background. So I am personally, if you don't know of me, I'm Stefan Kinsella. I was born in Louisiana. I live in Texas. I've been all around the world, Louis, uh, uh, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, uh, uh, London, and uh, but I'm a patent attorney practicing in that area of law 
in Houston, Texas right now, but I'm also uh, a libertarian uh, writer and speaker. So it has happened that my interest has dovetailed in intellectual property theory and intellectual property law. So as a lawyer, I write and speak and practice in the area of patent law, copyright law, trademark law. But as a libertarian, I've tended to uh, meld that with my libertarian um, and Austrian economic uh, writing and thinking. So that's kind of who I am. I founded some journals. I've written a lot. I'm a libertarian guy. I'm a regular guy. I'm an American, and uh, I know the the thing to, the thing to understand. I think is that I know what I'm talking about when I talk about intellectual property law itself. Like I understand patent law. I've done hundreds of patents for big companies. I still do this for a living. Um, so. When I when I hear people talk in a economic or a political way about patents or copyrights or intellectual property or theft, I think I know how to view these issues. And so I've developed views on how to present them from a free market or property perspective or libertarian perspective because I'm a libertarian as well. And in fact, I mean, everyone who knows me on this podcast, you know, knows me as a libertarian. I just happen to understand IP law because that's my profession, but that's not my main thing. But anyway, so that's my background. So that's a brief overview. So let's go to the next slide. Okay, so my background, my perspective, and again, I'm not trying to sell myself or explain my perspective, but the way I came to it and the way that I think I understand things, I think can help people understand how to approach an area that has been perplexing to a lot of people, which is intellectual property. Um, so from, for, for about the last 25, 27, 30 years, I've been an increasing libertarian, anarchist, Austrian on that side, but I've also been an, an IP lawyer. So they, these things came together. So I started understanding IP law, but I also um, – Let's go back two pages. So I also started writing against IP law. Now, I'll be honest, as a patent attorney, as a young guy at a big law firm in Philadelphia and doing all this stuff, as I started realizing that I am practicing a field of law that shouldn't exist, right? maybe I should be a little bit cautious about ex uh, expressing my views because this could hurt my career. But the funny thing is I've noticed that it, it, it actually never hurts your career because there's this weird segmentation of ideas. People uh, focus on their careers and their prospects and their the people they hire on one hand, and they really don't care what your political views are. Um, honestly, even if you come out as a – I'm against, I want to abolish patent law. The next thing you'll hear the next day is five people from the audience will say, oh, well, could I hire you to do my patents? Because they, they, they don't really care what your political opinions are. They think you want to do it. So that's been my experience. This is totally irrelevant to most of this topic, but that's who I am. I'm a patent lawyer who's a libertarian, and I'm against patents, and then I'll hear the same criticisms. Oh, then you're a hypocrite and whatever, and that's a whole different argument, and I can have that, but it's boring. So. Let's skip ahead. Okay, so 
And I can't go into right now in this topic, I think in this, in this presentation, this webinar, um, I don't want to go into a long presentation about what IP is intellectual property and about why we should abolish it. Uh, I've spoken on that hundreds of times and I've got links here, but the bottom line here, because I wanna to get to the bottom line about uh, competition and capitalism and China and IP theft and those issues. Um, so my perspective is, and you're welcome to look into it or ask me questions offline, is that um, patent law and copyright law, which are part of the Western American legal system, are completely antithetical to a libertarian free market private property order. Now, the thing you will hear from most proponents of patents and copyrights, the, the Ayn Rand types, uh, the minarchist types, the constitutionalists, because constitutionalists like revere everything in the constitution as a default, right? And because the constitution said you can have patent and copyright, it's a good thing. So everyone who's against it is a commie, right? And I get that. I get that. I get that. I had that default view myself sometimes, but I'm telling you, I'm not a commie. I hate commies. I'm pro-private property rights. I'm pro-capitalism. And I've come to the view that patent law and copyright law are two of the worst institutions we have that are totally incompatible with human prosperity and freedom. So this is my background view, and I've written on this, and I've spoken on this hundreds of hours. Okay, so that's the background here. Um, so the point is just understand that my perspective on what we're about to talk about is that intellectual property is not a legitimate property right. Right. It's like it's like saying that uh, you have a property right in your Social Security payments. OK, some people think that and, and they will come up with arguments like, oh, I paid into the system for 20, 30, 40 years. So I am owed this. And so it's not welfare. It's not socialism. But of course, we understand that, in effect, it is right. Um, so in my view, this is how I look at all this, right? So let's go to the next slide. Jeff. Thank you. Okay, and these are some resources that people who are interested can look at because I'm sure that we will put these slides up. So if you want to look into more resources, here's some a few links that will give you more things to look at. Let's go to the next slide, please. All right. Quickly, I'm gonna skip through the history of IP. Intellectual property is a word we use to, or a term we use to refer to a few types of laws that are uh, common in the Western American European system now, which primarily is patent and copyright. Now, I think it is important to have a, a brief understanding of where these laws came from. So, Patents came from the practice of kings. I'm simplifying, of course, but kings granting monopoly privileges to their cronies, saying, you're the only guy who can sell sheepskin. You're the only guy who can export leather in this town. Uh, Sir Francis Drake, you can colonize this. There's a tea company, all these things. So they're basically court-granted monopoly privileges, right? Now, this got out of hand, and Cong uh, Parliament uh, reacted 
and tried to rein this in, and this resulted in the Statute of Monopolies of 1623. So I'm just explaining where patent and copyright, which are the, the two core IP ideas in the American and Western system, came from. One came from this practice of granting monopoly privileges, like you're the only one who could sell corn. You're the only one who can do this. Now, this is not free market. This is not capitalist, right? It's got nothing to do with innovation. So the statute of monopolies basically eliminated most of these practices, but said that we will retain the right of the monarch to grant monopoly privileges for people if you can show that you have an innovation, some scientific or technical innovation. So that's the kind of the origin of our modern system. Now, copyrights arose from the printing press coming out and threatening the monopoly of the church and the state over the scribes and the guilds, which could reduce they could they could control which works would reach the public, right? So they were worried about that. So they said, no, we have to control this. So the state had various maneuvers and mechanisms, and this eventually arose in the 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 statute of Anne. So Modern day patent and copyright in the in the in the Western world came from the American Constitution in 1789, which itself was following on the heels of the Statute of Anne and the Statute of Monopolies. So this is not really the result of natural law trying to protect people's rights. It's a result of uh, a combination of the history of the state interfering in natural society, right? Like uh, granting monopolies and restricting free speech and free press. And people coming up with excuses like, oh, well, the government needs the power to encourage this industry. It's very similar, by the way, to the entire, <coughs> excuse me, infant industry argument. Like we need to have tariffs to protect an infant industry. And, you know, all these maneuvers the government comes up with to justify uh, controlling the economy and doing things like that, right? Now, so the U.S. – so this – you have to think historically. The world we live in today is the culmination or at a certain point in time of this weird curve that we're experiencing right now, which is the Industrial Revolution, which started in about 1800, about 200 30 years ago, and the pace of progress has increased exponentially ever since then, um, and in the recent few generations because of computers and technology and things like that. But it basically, that's what we've been doing for about 200 years, and so the U.S. started at that same time, and the U.S. adopted the IP law. Now, so what happened was, you know, the Western world starts expanding, we have prosperity, we have progress, and you have some free market economists starting to object to the, uh, the uh, these patent and copyright laws, which were adopted in the wake of all of this stuff. And when they objected, by this time, they were starting to be entrenched interests, like the publishing industry, right? I mean, there's a reason that, like, Prince, the artist, Put the word slave into his uh, his beard because he was trapped by a, a contractual system, which is anchored in copyright because of this old uh, gatekeeper 
publishing system for music, and before that came from books, because of the copyright system, because of the monopoly guilds, because of the governments and the church's control of free thought. I mean, this is the way to look at it. This is what happened in reality. Now, luckily, we live in a world where technology is finally letting us break free of some of the shackles of the controls of the copyright uh, system, the publishing system, the Hollywood system. So, of course, and we'll get to this in a minute in more detail, but you hear uh, complaints about piracy and people copying. But unless you have a uh, unless you have a, a presumption that there's something wrong with copying, you would never think that, that there's anything wrong with that in the first place. So when people criticize you for copying, uh, there's no obvious reason why that's wrong, right? So anyway, so this is what happened. So the 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 free market economists started realizing what we had gotten ourselves into in the 1800s, and objecting to this increasingly uh, pervasive monopoly system of patent and copyright. And in response, by that point, industries had started being entrenched: the publishing industry, and later on the Hollywood film industry and pharmaceuticals and other other industries. And they started fighting for their for their interests. So they said, no, 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 no. This is not a monopoly. It's not a monopoly privilege grant by the government. It's just another type of property. And everyone said, what do you mean? What kind of property is it? And they would say, well, uh, it comes from the origin of your intellect, so it's an intellectual property. So it was just a propaganda move, right? Now, the thing was they were fighting was we all know that property rights in normal things like you know my iPhone, this bottle here, whatever, they last forever theoretically. My house, my watch, my grandfather's watch, um, and – they might not last forever in reality, but in principle, you, you have ownership as long as you can prove a claim to it. But the problem with patent and copyright is they both expire by law because they're creatures of legislation. They're default creatures of legislation. They expire after 17 years, 100 years, 50 years, whatever. So everyone realizes, well, that's kind of arbitrary. Like why would a property right just disappear, expire? Uh, after a certain amount of time. Um, and so the answer was, well, it's a property right, but it's a special type of property right. We're trying to encourage certain things. So now they switched their whole argument to the economic justification, like, well, the government should have the power to encourage certain things. Now, as a libertarian, well, I would say as an anarchist, but even as a mere libertarian who's not necessarily an anarchist, you should get a little bit suspicious when the when when government power proponents start saying that the uh, the government is necessary to make something happen, otherwise it wouldn't happen. Because w what they're basically making is the argument of, uh, of of market failure. They're saying that oh, the market cannot provide a b and c they can't make bridges they can't make roads they can't make national defense and therefore the government needs to do it and because they need to do it and by the way this is an objectivist ayn rand argument which is complete bs um because 
need should not be the basis of rights, but whatever, they go there when they have to because they can't extricate themselves from their stupid minarchism. This is the main problem with, with Randians is they, they're pretty good on most things, but they're basically status minarchists and they favor intellectual property, which corrupts everything they really believe in ultimately, except for the ones that can break free of that, right? <laughs> so this is where I am right now on, 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 on this issue. So this is how we arose to the point where we're at now. So now we're at the point. Let's, let's skip to the next slide. Yeah. So basically we, we have a system where the IP advocates won. They won because everyone started thinking of these institutionalized government privileges, which are definitely not natural rights because, again, they don't – natural rights don't expire in 18 years or 117 years or whatever it is. Everyone knows this, So, but people think they're necessary. right? So, But people start thinking, well, that's part of capitalism. It's part of the West. The West is better than the rest. Industrial revolution is one. We're we're progressing. I mean, I've heard this argument so many goddamn times. It's crazy. People say, "Well, uh, America has been so successful, and we had copyright and patent in the Constitution since 1789. So that how can you object to it?" So I guess our argument is that everything that we've done since the beginning of this country. Uh, is necessary and an essential to our success. Uh, well, what about slavery? What about the fact that women couldn't vote or have property? Um, what about lots of things we could point to that were obviously unjust? What about the fact that we've had wars ongoing in this country probably for every year out of every every you know probably three out of every four years for the last. 230, 40 years. So would you say that having an ongoing war is essential to prosperity? I mean, these arguments are totally empirical and not causal, right? Um, and I would say that, of course, uh, the West and, the, and, and human society has progressed despite patent law, despite copyright law, um, not because of it. But to make that argument requires a causal understanding of all this stuff, which most people don't do. They just do statistics, and you know they rely upon history and kind of simplistic analyses. Okay, now on the current slide, my, my view is, which should be clear by now, is that um, intellectual property is one of the worst types of laws that we have. It should be abolished. We should abolish patent and copyright law immediately. Okay. Um, I can't go into this in detail in this short presentation, and I do want to get on to the, the other things, but this is my view. Now, you have to understand the background. Like I explained the history of how this arose and the fact that the US adopted the English system and the European system, and then a hundred years later, the US after World War II, World War I, the US became dominant. Of course, the Western American system became dominant and became part of everything. So there's a network of treaties, which maybe we'll get to in a minute. Uh, WIPO 
the United Nation, uh, United Nations related treaties, some bilateral treaties. But for example, the United States pretended to resist the Berne Convention, which is the International Copyright Convention adopted in the 1800s in European countries. And the United States uh, resisted that for a while because the United States was sort of a rogue nation in the beginning, right? We could print Mark Twain novel, uh, not Mark Twain, um, uh, novels from, um, who's the British guy? Uh, you know, um, Great Expectations. Um, Dickens. Yeah, Dickens. So like th there's a story about how Dickens like uh, had to come go on tour in the U.S. to keep promoting his novels because they were being pirated. But of course, the only reason he had a tour was because he was popular and he was popular because he was known. He was known because there was piracy. So all this stuff is nonsense. But the point is all this stuff was happening at the time and the U.S. resisted, but we finally joined. And because of the emerging power and hegemony of the United States and our various special interest groups like the, the publishing industry, uh, combined with the British and London publishing industry, uh, pharmaceutical industry, and the emerging Hollywood film industry in the 1900s, this started gaining more and more steam. And then after World War II, when the U.S. finally gained almost total control of the world because of the aftermath of World War II, then all this stuff started being pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed into place very much like the US dollar is the standard currency still today, even 60 something years later, which is amazing. And it's not bound to last. And thankfully the IP system that we pushed is not bound to last either because technology will finally ruin it. In any case, that's my overall crazy, 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 crazy libertarian. I know it's crazy. But believe me, I've been doing this for 25, 30 years. I have – at least I have reasons for what I'm saying, and I can answer anyone who, who, who thinks you – know. uh, so, so this is my perspective on this. So just – I won't say take my word for it, but just pause and think. Maybe, 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 maybe there's a good criticism here of, of our existing world order and the direction we're going partly guided by a misguided view of property rights and intellectual property. Okay, so on this slide, that's where we are. Um, in the background, today, we have Donald Trump, we have America, we have people claiming that China is stealing our IP. And this is what motivated me to get so exercised about this because Everyone I hear talk about this doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. Honestly, I would be happy. I, I'll, I'll, I'll say this here publicly. I will debate anyone in the world, anyone, any human being in the world who will want to debate because honestly, I think there's no one who knows more than me, especially from a libertarian Austrian perspective who understands IP and can argue from a coherent principled property rights perspective about these issues. I would love to see it. I mean, my entire world outlook on these issues resulted from my attempt for five years to try to find a way to fix the errors Ayn Rand and others made in their, in their, uh, in their weak attempts to justify patent law. I thought, oh, there must be a better way. There must be a better way. There must be a better way because they were all horrible. I mean, how can you say 
we should have patents for 17 years and copyrights for 92 years or whatever the hell it is, right? How can you say that? Oh, and that makes sense because because what? Because the legislators had the right decision? Yeah, everyone knows that that's not right. So I, I searched and searched and searched, and I, I couldn't find it. And finally, I came to my agnostic, atheist, you know, anarchist view, which is basically where I view now. And so now I hear people say China is stealing our IP. And so what do we see from this? Let's go to the next slide. Jeff. Okay. So we have these groups that are that emerge and they give themselves these names. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise by now because this is the way the government acts. Now, the problem is that people who are inclined to support IP, they don't want to think of that as being a government uh, product, but it, it, it really is. I mean, so in the United States, for example, we used to have the Department of War. Now, that is the department that fought the war right? in World War II, the Department of War. Okay, you might not favor it. You might have opposed World War II, our entry, or whatever, but it was a Department of War. Now what's it called? Department of Defense. So the government's always trying to tack and manipulate names and use propaganda and manipulate people, right? So they come up with – you can think – like the Obamacare, people call it the uh, – what's it called? The, uh, the, uh, the Affordable Fair Care Act. Act. Affordable Care Act, right? So that's just a name they came up with to sell it. I mean it, it's not part of Aristotelian philosophy whether this act really made health care affordable. It's just what they called it, right? And they do this all the time. So you have these groups that pop up. So I just – I listed a couple of them here. One is called the uh, – the Commission on the Theft of American Intellectual Property. Now, this is what's being used right now to justify Trump saying that we need to have an aggressive negotiation posture with China on our trade measures because they're stealing our IP. So you just have some industry group that's saying, oh, they're stealing our IP. So uh, yeah, so go after them. And then – this is recent, but the Chamber of Commerce had something, and they had this thing saying that um, IP contributes 40 like trillion uh, – no, I can't see the, the number here, but trillions of dollars to the economy. Now, what they did was they simply, they simply looked at the economy and GDP figures, and they said that, well, ideas are part of some of that, so that's IP. So they're making all these assumptions, right, like that if you have innovation or ideas – or technology that is part of the modern economy, then that has to give tribute to IP law because that comes from patent law. Now, that's begging the question, right, which I think is completely crazy. Uh, innovation does not come from patent law. In fact, patent law hinders innovation. Anyway, and so this this one is a particular one that drives, drives me nuts. The last one I have listed here on this slide is the the Center for the Protection of Intellectual Property. Now, this is by an, a libertarian or a liberal or objectivist, Adam Mossoff, who's some lawyer who doesn't know anything about patent law. He's just some guy who's a law professor who 
claims to have IP specialty. Uh, I guarantee I've prosecuted more patents than he has, which means 400 to zero. Um, but he's the head of something called the Center for the Protection of IP. So, but you notice it's not the center for the study of intellectual property. It's not the center for whatever. It's just for the protection of it. So it, its whole purpose is presupposed in its name. So there are because they're Randian. They're Randian idiots who have been basically bamboozled by John Locke and this whole idea, the the objectivist Randian idea that. We own things because we have labor. We own our bodies because God gave them to us, and we own our labor. And so if you own your labor, you own what you transform, and blah, blah, blah. I mean the whole thing is complete. It, it crumbles apart if you think about it. Now, the problem is when you criticize this, again, as I started stated in the beginning, the reason I said in the beginning I am personally a capitalist and a free market guy… And an individualist, and I love innovation, and I love ideas and technology. That is the reason that I hate patent law. Now, I will grant you that you have some types like the Sanders, Bernie Sanders types or the socialist types who seem to have some problems with IP law um, because they're socialist, but it's not really true. So let me give an example. You have Trump and Bernie Sanders, for example, right now, both ends of the so-called spectrum, bitching about pharmaceutical company uh, profits or costs, like how much it costs to get a drug. But neither one of them wants to challenge – so what's Trump's solution to basically be a strong man and just fight the pharmaceutical companies and tell them you better get in line? And what's Bernie's solution? Oh, to have Medicare for all so that the government controls everything so they're a single uh, buyer, so there's a monopsony, and so they can basically control the market, and they can have a strong bargaining position with the pharmaceutical companies. So they're both basically saying we need to fight these pharmaceutical companies right? who are charging obscene prices. This is their entire argument. And it's completely either ignorant or dishonest. I don't know which one it is because the entire reason the pharmaceutical industry has a high price is because they have a patent on their pharmaceuticals, and the patent is granted by the federal effing government. right? So anyone with any ounce of intelligence and honesty and decency who is sincere about… Human welfare and the promotion of pharmaceuticals, the obvious answer would be why don't we get rid of the, the patent monopoly we're granting these guys so they can't charge a price five times higher than normal in the first place, and then we don't have to come up with a solution to negotiate with them. It's just like the environmentalist idiots who want to stop global warming by conservation. But none of them consider nuclear power. Like anyone who's in favor of environmentalism or saving the climate or whatever, but they're not in favor of nuclear power, let's say thorium or just fission, whatever, I don't think they're serious because they're either stupid or they're evil. They're lying or they're stupid. So you should shut up in either case, right? I mean, 
you you can't really be that worried about an existential threat to humanity because of global warming and not say maybe nuclear power might be one thing we should consider as one tool in the toolbox to do this right so to me it's the same thing um with the pharmaceutical thing so this is my point the pharmaceutical industry has gone crazy because of patents and also because of the fda system so the federal and and by the way i hate i hate what i'm doing now which is everything we're talking about is american centric and i really hate that because i'm getting really 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 sick and tired of americans american libertarians who do this constitution crap and this james madison crap thomas jefferson crap and the liberty bell crap and the new hampshire stuff i mean come on but the the thing is the us is the hegemon right now so i forgive myself a little bit for focusing on the us policies because they are so influential but i don't want to give the impression that the U.S. model is the only thing that matters. I mean, I, I could give you Swiss examples or Italian examples or whatever. Anyway, that's where I am now. I'll stop for a second and allow a few questions. Sorry, sorry about the monologue. No, that, no, that's great, Stefan. I really appreciate that. And, and that is the reality. You know, the, the whole world is ideally a parade, but at the moment, the U.S. is at the head of the parade. So how do we sort of make sure that we get to the right place if we're in that position, you know, so you're at the good forefront. And what's nice about it is you've got the perspective to look at this. And that's the advantage of the libertarian perspective, unless anyone wants to admit otherwise. But it's tough to, to say so or defend that position because you're just trying to get to the truth of the matter and not necessarily carry anyone's water. And in every iteration, especially today, it's all about carrying your team's water. And, and like you just said, why would I ignore nuclear? I mean, they're willing to overlook the most obvious stuff because somehow that doesn't fit into the narrative. And the libertarian person's like, I don't care about any narrative. What's going to actually function correctly where you win, I win, the market wins, everything's good. But somehow, you know, that it's not good unless there's a win-loss situation. And what's really nice about what you also said is how you're focusing on the words. So when they said like the prevention, or I mean the protection, see that's the telling statement. No one noticed that. They all thought about the good feely guttural reaction of what this organization is supposed to be about. And that is the, the fallacy even with the libertarians that they fall too quickly into this great mantra. And there's a lot of great stuff that they're loving, but it's like it's frozen in time and they haven't had the chance to get that broader perspective like what you bring. Cause I'm assuming you didn't start out like you are but once you did all those cases and all those things happened with that libertarian mentality burning in your background, all of a sudden the image became way clearer because you were looking at it the right way for a change compared to everybody else who's got an ax to grind. So that was fantastic. You know, one of the things too was the fact that, you know, the, all those errors that are out there as far as, you know, in the constitution, the fact that there was some stuff that got correct, you know, like maybe about how we should vote and whether we should have a king or whatnot. But like property rights, like you said, that was just too, they were too close to what's been happening recently and they appreciate the value. But here's the one question everyone would throw up. Let's say I am Prince and I wrote this song 
and I want to get paid because I wrote this song like you invented the hammer. So no one can like make a photocopy of my hammer. It has to physically be made. Now, so people could bootleg it, but ideally I could sue him for stealing my, my property because ideally I invented that thing, which is no different than me growing a crop and selling that corn to somebody. No one can bootleg that. How does that fit in the, in the perspective, especially in the, in a commercial world where I'm, let's say I'm a uh, record label and I, pay money and I put, I pay for Prince to be on tour and I pay for these things because I think right. his song has success in its future. How do we not prevent that from just getting bootlegged or pirated where somebody does undercut what, you know, and I understand what you're saying because it's totally makes it an incredible amount of sense, but this is a great art, you know, straw man argument yep. to out yep. there for sure. No, I agree. Um, I think I will never be one of these guys that tries to tries to satisfy all the answers that people will always uh, the questions people always come up with. In other words, to me, I'm looking at principles and fundamentals and justice, okay, and 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 the reality of the situation. Um, so, for example, if someone if someone tells you or me, um, look, I believe in the welfare state because we should because we should take care of poor people, right? No decent person we're going to talk to, including us, I assume, is going to say we shouldn't take care of poor people, right? As a general sort of moral principle, right? So we all kind of agree with that. Everyone who's going to talk about these things is going to agree with those those kinds of issues, right? So then, so then, but then these these sort of economic illiterate assholes will say something like, um, "Well, so what will happen to the guy who's born to a poor farmer and can't afford college or whatever?" Right? They'll come up with examples, right? And and they want they'll, they'll ask you, "What's your solution?" Now, when they ask you, "What's your solution?" They're asking you. To give them a guarantee. Okay. Now, this is part of the logic of the left now with Social Security and all these things and, 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 and socialized medicine. People should have a guarantee. But the funny thing is, I mean, almost everyone who has an ounce of brain knows that the, the American, say, the American federal government, any, both Western governments are bankrupt. They're, they're going to go bankrupt. They're going to collapse within a certain number of years if something amazing doesn't happen. Like, so there's no guarantee. I mean, Social Security is not a guarantee. You're not guaranteed to have Social Security in 38 years from now. We all know this. So it's impossible to guarantee the future because the future is uncertain and because it's a pyramid scheme, right? So even, even, even this idea is – is ridiculous and they know it. So they're all lying and they're all dishonest. But but you know the the point is what that's what they're asking for. They're asking you, hey Stefan, hey Jeff, I will I might be willing to try a free market private charity system if you can tell me for a certainty and guarantee that everyone is going to be taken care of a hundred percent. That's what they want. They want a guarantee. 
Now, of course, we can't say that. And when we, when we say, well, we can't say that, partly because the future is uncertain and God might kill us tomorrow with an asteroid, whatever, right? Then they say, well, if you can't guarantee it that we're going to have – we're going to keep FDR's systems in place, whatever, right? So it's the same thing for me with IP, right? What these guys misconceive is the, is the total understanding of what the free market is and what human interaction is and what the nature of profit is and what the nature of, of entrepreneurship is. So they are used to thinking that if you are an industrious person in a modern, fairly civilized society in the last few hundred years, if you are a hard worker and you – plan for the future and you plant your seeds and you're willing to forgo things for the future, you have low time preference, then you will make a higher profit than others. And of course, if you are, then you're a Jew and everyone hates you and they want to kill you. I mean, you know, the whole thing is totally screwed, right? But the point is, that's the idea that the correlation is that if you were more prudent and you happen to be lucky to be born into the right phase of human history, which is only a slice of what we've been through. Like we've been apes for a long time, and it's been horrible, horrible, horrible for a long time. We've lived like animals for a long time. This last 20, 50, 100, 200-year slice, 500-year slice of human history is not – I mean this is new and great, and we should keep it going if we can, but it's not normal, right? But so the idea is that we've noticed a few trends in the last 200 years that people who tend to plant their seeds and have more lower time preference, they make more money. So they correlate that with institutions like private property rights and, and other, other things that, that, that enable this, okay. and they're correct about that. And so there's been a gradual dawning of realization among humans that especially since the communist the communist nation, nations disappeared or they 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 fell apart in the in the 90s um, people have realized that capitalism private property rights work people tend to get the benefit of their labors okay all these things are good these are all good things good realizations the problem is people generalize because they don't know economic theory or political theory, and they start thinking, well, that means that you have the right – you have a right to be compensated if you work hard. God damn it, if I work hard, I should be paid. That's it. I have a right to health care suddenly. Yes. You know, um, Stephen, we're, we're, we're running out of some time here, so we're going to have to start to take some questions. You know, what, what, what though, you know, and this is really obviously a very important element of where the future could lie, you know, beyond what people typically think about and philosophize about or hear on the news or whatever. The IP is like, like a given, like I, like I was bringing up before, and, and we can split hairs between, you know, knocking off Coca-Cola or knocking off my song or knocking off whatever, my artwork, as it were. But what what can we sort of do? You know, can people listening to this or individual citizens, is there some organization or is there anything happening other than you being this lone voice tilting at windmills? Well, in terms of activism, so here's – the problem is that this is one of these arcane issues that people don't pay attention Quite. to. I mean they don't even they, – they don't even pay attention to you know tariffs and trade policies, so they're not going to pay attention to – 
Trump saying that China's stealing our IP and therefore, you know, the reason we held up the deal with Mexico or China is because they're stealing our IP. So everyone thinks, well, it's just like the Iranians shooting some of our ambassadors or something. Like they think, I mean, everyone just assumes that's the background story. So that's a hard story to tell. So, but so what I would say is this um, from my perspective, um, my, my, my perspective is in a way pessimistic, in a way optimistic. The pessimistic part is that. I do think that government, not just government, but societal perspectives on ownership of ideas have set us back by centuries and decades and maybe forever. I don't, I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, so these ideas that we have about patent and copyright law, in a way, I think that they are like the two most pernicious laws that we have, and and even libertarians put them on the back burner, and they're not even agreed on them. But I think they're in a way the worst laws that we have, because um, they're masquerading as commonsensical. Well, it's it the, the, they're the worst because they have the most, especially the patent system basically impedes technological progress because it makes it impossible to come up with a new idea because you can't sell it because you'd be sued by your competitor who has a patent. So it slows down technological progress, and when you slow down technological progress, you slow down the accumulation of knowledge that we as a human race have, and you slow down the human race's expansion into the universe. I mean that's just the way it is. So. To my mind, it's the biggest tragedy of all time. Now, you could point to the drug war and 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 and, and welfare and public education and the central uh, the central banking system. They all have horrible effects. Uh, war and the drug war are probably hard to argue against as being the worst thing the government does. But the problem is, IP patent and copyright, especially patent. Um, has this effect where it – even among libertarians, they don't see it as status. They see it as a type of enforcement of property rights. No, most libertarians don't see even, – even minarchists, right? They don't see taxes as a good thing. Even minarchists say taxes are a necessary evil, right? So they don't think taxes are a good thing. They think that I can't see a way around it. We have to have taxes. But that means that in theory, in their ideal utopia, they would love a world with, with no taxes, like you reduce them to the lowest level because they see them as an evil. Uh, they're a necessary evil, but they see them as an evil. right? But the problem with patents and copyright is that people see them as – it's a property right. If you produce something, you should get a profit. If you make something, you have a right to it. If you create something, you have a property right in it. And they have these kind of confused views about everything, which are basically bolstered by their good views. Like they actually support property rights in capitalism to a to a rough extent. And that's why they support these things. So to me, that's the most insidious part. No, the that's my pessimistic side. My my optimistic side is that the good thing about reality is that human beings can sometimes route around damage, right? This is a network idea, uh, Bennett Surf, I think. Uh, so 
copyright is violated probably billions of times a day because we have encryption, digital technology, the internet, smartphones, etc. Um, and patents will be increasingly violated because of 3D printing, I believe, in the future. So the good thing, in my view, is that in the future, eventually, patent and copyright law, as damaging and as harmful and as evil as they are, will eventually become more and more meaningless because people will be able to circumvent the state and they will become they'll become like the drug laws unenforceable and a society will move along so that's sort of my long-term perspective on this well i'll tell you one thing Stefan. that that totally matches history because rivers will go wherever they're going to go regardless of what anyone else thinks so what you just said is that the market's going to work in the end regardless it just might be very delayed because of all these impediments but we're going to get there in the end regardless. we got time for one good question because we've already well exceeded our time frame here. Charles, I see you've got your hand up. <clears throat> well, we've got a, a late start, so I think we might have more time than that. Um, before I ask a question, and thanks for calling on me, uh, Jeff, I had my hand up for a while. Um, we do have another libertarian lawyer uh, on this call, Michael Kielski. If he can unmute himself as a libertarian lawyer, uh, Michael, I'd be curious to see, as a lawyer and libertarian, if you've ever thought about IP in those abstract terms like Stefan has and what your, what your conclusions are. Michael, you want to participate in that question? I see him there, but I see we're getting a chat maybe. Let's see what we've got. Oh, he just said no, Mike. Sorry. Oh, okay. Mike is uh, Maybe, maybe he can chat his question. If, he chats yeah, his if you question, want to chat your question, we'll read that off to the crew. Um, while he does that, Stefan, you know, Jeff and I were featured in Forbes for creating cash pairs that free market health reformers say you have to create to fix health care. Um, that's fine and true. We like to help our patients step up and shop around on cash prices. But even if we give them all the choices in the world, as we do, there's government standing in the way. Uh, you mentioned the FDA and patents. Milton Friedman said the FDA kills people, but we're back to our original question with you. Um, if you're right, and I believe you are, that crony pharma abuses IP to restrict availability and hike uh, prices, um, how can we ever get affordable health care if the patent protectionist racket remains for pharma to abuse. Okay, so that's, excuse me, that's a good question. And by the way, this uh, Mike Kelsky just replied, he's thought about it and Stefan has been convinced almost. So, okay, I'm happy with that. This happens, by, uh, by the way, it's happened. So <clears throat> this is a slight aside. And again, in, as of the beginning, I, I don't want to promote myself. I have no reason to, but I will tell you that I've noticed that in this one area, I've seen more libertarian progress, in my view, progress um, in the last 15 years since I've written about this and kept promoting it. And not just me, others, Jeff Tucker and Roderick Long and uh, Sheldon Richmond and, and even people that I learned from like Wendy McElroy and, and, and Tom Palmer. Um, this is one of these issues where it's a hard issue, but the good thing is you can actually – talk to someone for 10 minutes or 20 minutes or an hour and you see their mind changed it's it's not like uh, 
the the harder issues like national defense or whatever. Um, so that's a good thing to me. But um, anyway, so back to your question about um, what you can do. Um, I don't know, maybe rephrase your question there. Uh, sure, sure, Stefan. So it's, it's about pharma, because professionally, oh, pharma, Jeff and yeah. I are engaged in healthcare. You know, we're the new kids in the blog featured by Forbes because we create cash fares, which liberates patients from the control of insurance and their networks. But even as we create cash pairs with all this choice and opportunity, government stands in our way from restricting supply through the FDA approval process, uh, through FDA raids on different choices, and then your area, patents. And like you said, no one's focusing on it, but it's huge. And the way you characterize it is a lot huger than we know. Um, so a bit more on pharma abuse right. and patents, how they right. restrict and supply. I, and, 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 and we're only on slide eight, and I'm sorry, I'm long-winded sometimes. We have I had 14 and had more, but I have some examples, and I – I'm always happy to go further, but uh, so um, there's tons of horrendous examples of what far, uh, uh, the, how this whole industry has resulted in human death and destruction and impediment of progress. Um, in the pharma case, so one obvious example is how the prices are very high, and the politicians complain about it. But the reason the prices are high is because of the combination of the FDA process, which is a federal government uh, intervention in the market, and the patent process, which is another federal government intervention in the market. It's, it's sort of like when they complain about inflation, like, oh, inflation's horrible, but it's caused by the Federal Reserve's printing of dollars. It's the same thing, right? So um, – but the, the thing is, the, the nice thing about the market, and when you have what's called quicksilver capital, right, and you have international markets, which is one good thing, I believe, personally, about the expansion of international trade since World War II, even though it's been managed trade and not perfect, it has made the world more integrated. And whenever there is a big threat to that uh, inter in integrated supply chain, people freak out, and there's a big reaction to it, which I think is good. Which is what's happening right now with coronavirus and other things, right? Or with Trump's threats to the supply chains in China, which is why I think he's backed off a little bit, right? But so for so for example, in the case of pharmaceuticals and the FDA, um, this is one example I was going to give later in the slides, and I'll just briefly go through it now because I think it's fascinating. So. The United States has a quasi-free market, although we support the pharmaceutical industries that have patent protection and FDA protection so they can charge monopoly prices on their products. So we produce things, but we charge high prices because of the quasi-monopoly status, right? So then other countries like can't like say Canada's like the US, but a little bit more socialist, and they they have price controls because they have a socialized healthcare system like everyone else. And they say that you can only charge so much for, for drugs. And so what happens is you have American pharmaceutical companies making drugs here that are totally cleared by the FDA. They're totally safe, clean, high quality, approved by the FDA, um, and then they sell them in Canada, let's say. But they sell them for like say one-tenth or one-fifth of the cost because there's a, a price control system there. 
but they sell it there because they can still make a profit because you know selling it at $100 instead of 1000 you can still make a profit if your cost is $2 or $20 whatever i don't know the numbers but that's the point so what happens is you have these american companies selling drugs in canada or mexico or other countries which are totally there's no objection to them from an FDA point of view. Like you can't say they're not made by Western companies with strict quality controls because they're made here and they're just shipped there. They're sold at a lower cost, even though they can make a profit. And then what happens, of course, is the capitalist thing called arbitrage, right? You have people say, well, hell, I can go down to Mexico or Canada and I can buy the drug for one tenth the cost and I can bring it back to the US and sell it for like a, a 10%, 20% markup, and the buyer is still getting an 80% discount, whatever, right? So this is what happens when you have a weird confluence of high prices because of artificial government monopolies combined with low prices that are profitable, but they're low because of government price controls. Like you have these socialist systems butting heads, right? And of course, the confluence is that you have you have you have entrepreneurs and capitalists trying to fix the problem, which they do, thank God. And of course, you had this bizarre example about 15 years ago, 10 years ago, where some of the Cato guys, like Cato, we think of Cato as a free market minarchist. I don't know, think tank, something like us. I know Fox News calls them conservative, but we all think that they. They think of themselves as libertarian, but maybe because of Murray Rothbard, it's part of their origin. I don't know. It's crazy, but whatever. And so some of their some of their guys are in favor of patent law because they're Randians or they're just minarchists or they're just Chicago idiots who believe in you know the Constitution or whatever. So they have this conflict in their minds. Like I've got to support patent law, but if I support patent law. And I also support free trade policy. People will go to Canada, and they will do an in run around our monopoly prices that are charged by the patent system here, which is what we want. Like they want – that's the whole purpose of the patent system is to let people charge a mon high monopoly price to make up their cost. This All this technocratic Chicago bullshit, right, uh, or, or at best, right? Uh, and so – they have a conflict in their mind, so you got to choose. Do you want? Do you really support free markets and property rights, or do you support uh, patent rights? And some of them chose at Cato. They chose patent rights, so that means they had to. They had to say we agree with the Obama or Bush, whatever administration it was. They have to block imports. Or they call them reimports of drugs, right? Because. Basically because it's undercutting the monopoly price being charged because of the patent system here. But that highlights the, the, the problem that you have to face as a liberal, as a libertarian, as a private property guy, as an individualist. Like what do you really favor? Do you, you favor private property rights and justice and free markets and competition? Really? Or do you favor making sure people – can make sure they can make enough profit with the government propping them up and fixing the problems and market failures and all this bullshit. So, no, that was very good. I that's a long-winded answer. But no, I think no, the, no. You know, you're you're really talking about just having consistency. Yeah, because everything aligns correctly if you stay on that. But the problem is, like you said, it just creates such a gray area. People get a little 
squeamish or they're sitting between two, you know, saddle between two positions and they can't even see it. You know, it's almost like cognitive dissonance. So that was great. And I really appreciate being here today. And we could have continued for a long, long time. But Stefan, this was great. And I do appreciate you being here with us today. Thank you guys so much. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate your uh, willingness to do this and to host these these, these views. And I know my views are not uh, mainstream, even in the libertarian community, but thank you very much. Thank you.